Welcome to the Unapologetic Truths Podcast, where your hosts, Life Math Money and Armani Talks, back for episode 29. Harsh, how's it going? Everything is well, brother. How are you doing? Doing well, man. How do, how do you like the new microphone that I have? It's pretty cool. I like this company a lot, the Shure thing. Mm-hmm. I have the SM7B. Before this, I had the Blue Yeti, which was not as good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like this company. I think this one is a dynamic mic, right? It only takes audio right in front of it and not like around it. Is that so? I'm not too sure. Uh, I literally just got this mic a couple of minutes before we started this episode. And how Wait, I got the mic... Move to the side and say something. Testing mic two, mic two. Yeah, that's a dynamic mic, right? Like it's changing the amount of sound it's picking up if you go to the side. Okay. Harsh, this was the first time I've ever had a bad experience with Amazon. What happened? So here's what happened. It's a pretty wild story. So I ordered this mic yesterday, right? And it's saying that I'm going to get it one to two hours before we start the episode. So I'm excited. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, I get to play around with it just a little bit. And then we get started with the episode. So roughly around 10 in the morning today, it says... Your package has arrived. I open the door and there's no package in sight. And I'm like, what the heck? Uh, they delivered it to the wrong place. So I give them a call and the guy that I'm speaking with is showing me an attitude. He's like, well, it says it was delivered. Are you sure uh, it's not delivered? And I'm like, yeah, I- I'm sure. And he's like, well, I can refund you your money, but I can't reorder this package for you. But I needed the mic before the episode started, right? So I was like to this guy, okay, um, refund me my money. And I don't know what happened to him, uh, but he just hung up on me. So I called back again, and I'm speaking to a sweet woman this time. And she's like, uh, well, sir, I guess... Uh, I could refund you your money, but if I were you, I would call the delivery man. I was like, okay, uh, give me the delivery man's contact information. She connects me to the delivery man, and he says, "Uh, sorry, bud, I'm way past where you're located right now. But if I were you, I would look for a pineapple. What? Yeah, that was my reaction. I I was... Like, Mm. (laughs) pineapple, what What do you mean by that? He's like, check your email. I I posted a picture of where I dropped the package off at, and you'll see what I mean. So I check my email, and I see the picture uh, of the apartment or house that he dropped it off at, and there was a pineapple that was hanging on the door. So it it was like one of those posters of a pineapple, uh, but now at least I knew where he dropped the package off at. So now it was a game of reverse engineering where exactly this door was located. Uh, He's saying it's nearby me, uh, but I don't exactly know where. So I decided to do uh, what anyone would do. I look for a police officer. Uh, Of course, police officers know the neighborhoods inside and out, right? (laughs) So I find uh, this uh, community building where there's two police officers that's standing in front. And to reach them, you have to weave uh, through this parking lot to get to them. As soon as I enter this community, I'm weaving left and right. Uh, I know Arman gets shot. 
dude, I kid you not. <laughs> when I'm driving close to these police officers, it looks like they're about to reach for their gun. <laughs> See, I was just making it, you know, an America joke. I didn't realize that they were reaching for their gun. No, the, both of the cops, they looked intimidated. And as soon as I put my window down, uh, they aggressively were like, what are you doing in this kid's community? It was apparently a, a place where kids get um, uh, babysat or something. And I'm like, uh, sir, I need your help. I'm looking for this uh, particular door. Uh, my package was delivered in the wrong spot. Uh, do you know where this is? And both of them were like, no, we don't. Now get out of here. So for the next hour, dude, I'm driving all over this place looking for a pineapple. I really need this mic before our episode. <laughs> An hour in, Harsh, I have this epiphany. What happens is that I order Uber Eats every now and then. And every now and then, they say that they delivered my package, uh, but they delivered it to the wrong address. So I pull up one of the last orders where it was delivered to the wrong address, and I find the address. As soon as I find the address, I see that it's two minutes away from me. I go to that address. I see the pineapple. And I see this uh, little girl. And she's like, uh, hey, uh, I'm Patty. What's your name? I was like, Patty, my name is Armani. I believe you have my package. And she was like, <laughs> oh, 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 my God. I she was like, listen, or hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly, she was like, I was expecting you. And then she hands me the package. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I made it right in time before our episode. Man, that is crazy. Yeah, Especially man. the kid saying I was expecting you. Like, that would make me like think twice. Am I in a dream or not? So I thought she was a little girl, but she was apparently an, uh, like a grown woman. But she was just very short and she had braces on. Hmm. Yeah, man, but now uh, we have the mic. We have the episode started. Uh, how's everything been? Everything is good. Just to add to what you said, yeah, uh, it's very rare to have, like, bad experiences with Amazon, and they typically refund you where they do. Like, you know, if you have, like, something terrible happen, they give you your money back. So let's give them credit for that. You know, credit where credit is due. Amazon is a good company, at least from the consumer's perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah but it's weird for the delivery guy to just say look for a pineapple you know and then you actually go looking for a pineapple mm -hmm. that's even weirder i'm not gonna lie harsh some of the craziest stories i've had like during the moment of the experience i was so agitated but once the experience was done those make some of the funniest stories true I'll tell you what happened to me once at Amazon. And this has happened to me more than once, actually. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in Amazon India website, you, you don't find the product. You have to import it from Amazon.com. That is the US website, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, the product will sometimes be shipped from the US. And it might get stuck in customs for like two weeks, three weeks, a month for no reason whatsoever. And... Uh, for some reason, Amazon doesn't have the correct system to tell that, okay, this is stuck in customs. It just says that, okay, this was expected to arrive by this date. And because this date is passed, like the item is now delivered, it's marked delivered. And then your refund window for 10 days starts. So right before your refund window ends, you're like, okay, I haven't received my package. 
And if it's broken or something, the refund window is already over. So all you can do is call Amazon and tell them that, okay, this item was marked delivered, but it's not. And they will refund you for your item. And the item will still come to you anyway. Like after the refund, you'll get the item because it was shipped. So you got a free and, product now. Yeah, but it's not some, It's not a free product that I wanted in the sense that it's like, I just cost some poor seller 200 bucks. I see what you're saying. Like it's not the seller's fault, but mm-hmm. I have no other option, right? Like I, I might say, okay, so I'll, I'll let it be marked delivered and I'll let the return window pass. But then when the product comes to me, it might be broken or damaged and then I won't have any recourse. So this is Amazon's fault where they should say, okay, this product might get delivered three months later, not like three weeks later. Mm -hmm. But this happens to me like once every few months where I'll import something, it'll get stuck and then I have to get a refund for it. How long has Amazon been in India? Since forever, man, like 2013 at least. Mm-hmm. See, I made my first purchase online in 2013 from Flipkart. And back then I used to, and my entire family and everyone in India used to think online buying is like scammy. You don't know what you might get. And, you know, the, the entire like mistrust yard. Mm-hmm. But Flipkart really invested a lot of money in convincing people that it's safe to buy online and you can do it. Right. And I made some of my first purchases from Flipkart. And back in those days, if you were buying something, what you would do is you would first look for the product on Flipkart and on Amazon. And typically it would be cheaper on Flipkart than Amazon. Then Mm. it kind of flipped, right? Flipkart is not a company that has a profitable side business like Amazon does. Amazon has a profitable um, AWS business, which kind of like allows it to make losses over a long term of time. But Flipkart is more like a VC-funded company and they can't keep losing money forever. So these Flipkart guys, at some point, they decided that, okay, we can't keep losing money forever, so we need to raise prices. So at some point, if for any product you want to buy, if you look for look on Flipkart and on Amazon, it would be cheaper on Amazon. So I, I started buying from Amazon from that time. And I think in like a year or so, I was so used to Amazon and especially that every time you looked, you found that it was cheaper on Amazon than on Flipkart. Mm-hmm. That I just stopped checking Flipkart. And ever since then, I've just been buying Amazon. I don't even check any other site right now. And yeah, Amazon has been very good. The customer service is really, really good. And they're very prompt. And, you know, it's like you don't worry as a customer about the product you receive in the sense that if the product is bad or has some defect. You don't have to be worried now that, okay, what's going to happen now? Like, you know, you can get a refund and exchange, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the company is going to side with you in like, in almost every case. Yeah. No, that's true. So Did Amazon you... is like my de facto choice, like, you know, default choice. You're a loyalist. It, I'm not a loyalist. I don't have a better option. That's true. Did you ever think about selling products on Amazon? Not physical product, man. It's just not worth the time, energy, hassle for me right now. Mm -hmm. I'm more of the info product, software, seller guy. I don't want to like spend my time figuring out distribution, dealing with people saying, hey, my package was not received and send it again, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to do physical products. And 
I might release some books on Amazon later. Mm -hmm. What about you? So one of my first ever businesses in college was to sell on Amazon. So one of my friends, he's from Pakistan, and he was studying in College of Engineering with me. And mm -hmm. he's like, you see this USB? I bought a bunch of these, and I got it for so cheap. And I asked, from where? And he said, from this place called Alibaba. That's when myself and this other Bengali kid named Dasan, we had this light bulb moment. We were like, why don't we buy a bunch of products from Alibaba and we sell it on Amazon? We could make this thing called a profit. And uh, this was way before there were a bunch of courses on selling on Amazon. So we were over here figuring it out by ourselves. That's why our first product was the number one thing you should never sell, which is cell phone cases. Uh, we were trying to sell cell phone cases, which is a saturated market. Our only unique angle was that there were superheroes on these cell phone cases. And it was more so a learning experience. Now, we were able to see how to uh, conduct business with uh, people in China, how to get them to ship product over to Amazon, uh, put it in their warehouse, and to get sales. Uh, but overall, uh, I'm completely with you. I'm not a big fan of dealing with physical products where warehouses are involved. These physical products behind me, the books, these are print on demand. So you don't need to worry about warehouse costs. You only uh, are responsible for the sell, and that's it. And those are the businesses I like. Wait, so what were your biggest takeaways about dealing with people in China? Now, that sounds very interesting. So number one is that they're a lot smarter than a lot of uh, like novice American businessmen will give them credit for. Because I'm not going to lie, myself and Thassan, uh, my Bengali uh, business partner, we were thinking that we were going to be dealing with these people that can't speak English. Uh, we're going to have to cuddle them uh, and they're going to try to haggle us. But that wasn't the case at all. They were very good with their English. They knew how to communicate. Uh, they knew how to uh, conduct a business deal where both parties went. And you have to look for the right supplier. So they get reviewed as well. Uh, because Alibaba, it houses a whole bunch of different manufacturers. So there are bad manufacturers. But if you get the good ones, uh, you could build a long-term business deal with them. Uh, so they surprised me in a good way. Uh, um, I got a lot of uh, good quality products. Uh, for the later ones, uh, we made another mistake. So after the superhero cell phone cases, uh, we went over to Bluetooth beanies, which was good when it was good, but it's a seasonal product. No one's going to wear beanies in the summer. What's right? a Bluetooth beanie? I have to ask. A what? What's a Bluetooth beanie? So a Bluetooth beanie is a beanie. Uh, you know what a beanie is, right? No. It's one of those. It's kind of like a hat that you put over your ears. Ah, uh, uh, I see. I see. You wear that in like super cold places to cover your ears, right? Right. But when you cover your ears, um, the ones that we were selling had these little um, uh, headphones in them. Right? Ah, that's a smart idea. Yeah, and you could connect it with your phone. So you didn't need a big wire that's hanging from your beanie to your phone. Mm -hmm. You could answer calls. You could listen to music. Uh, you, you could talk on the phone, etc. So once again, uh, this is good when it's cold. But when it's hot, no one needs a beanie. 
So that product, uh, we made some money, but overall, it wasn't going to be long lasting. So our third product was something that was uh, better. We used our lessons from the first two failed products, and we bought tumblers this time. Uh, so these are uh, smart cups. So if you put hot coffee in there, it'll stay hot. If you put cold water in there, it'll stay cold. And this is something that people who go hiking need. Uh, this is something that working professionals need uh, and uh, a variety of different people. And there was a market mm -hmm. for everyone. The problem, Harsh, was that that's when I was starting to learn that if you want to survive on Amazon, you can't necessarily rely on their algorithm where you're trying to rank number one on uh, the keyword, a 30-ounce Bluetooth beanie, because that's too volatile. Later on in the game, I found out the people who were successful had other modes of traffic. So they had a blog that dealt with hiking, and that just so happened to sell uh, tumblers as well. Uh, some people had a YouTube channel that would have a traffic that they would redirect to their listing. So I learned a whole bunch about business, especially online business, through those couple of years from uh, selling on Amazon. And I do think that it has its pros, but it also has a lot of cons as well. Interesting. Especially that you're mentioning that you can't rely on Amazon's algorithm. Because isn't that what most people do, where they like try to find some great search term and then stick to it? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're one of those people that just relies on Amazon's algorithm, uh, you may think that you have a good product. Uh, you may uh, have a lot of reviews on your particular keyword, but you never know when all that hard work can be undone just because they have a different algorithm change. I know what they mainly factor is sales, but there's small little variables that come out of the woodworks. Like, let's say you get a lot of returns on your orders, and then your placing is going to drop. So I think with a long-term approach, you need to build a brand. You can't just be selling individual products on Amazon anymore. With Amazon, there's, uh, there's this other risk, right? Where they're like way too conservative in the sense that let's say that you are selling supplements and I'm your competitor. Then I can like buy a bunch of supplements and then leave reviews that say something like, okay, so this product made me start vomiting blood. And Amazon, when they see that, they're going to delist your product. And then you have to go through a long appeal process, which might take a month or so. Mm -hmm. And then you've lost the momentum and the sales. Yes. And that's one of the, the most risky products to sell. Anything that is a consumable, where you have to put it through your mouth. Because there's different health benefits that you want to factor in. I do understand that there's suppliers that will make the product and you just slap your logo on it. Mm -hmm. But that's that's typically the type of businesses that I'll stay away from. But those are really, really profitable in the sense that if you sell supplements, mm -hmm. they cost almost nothing to manufacture, but you can sell them for like 10, 20 bucks a bottle and the guy will keep coming back every two months to buy more. Oh, actually, that's that's smart because it's reoccurring. Yeah, it's recurring and it's it's a bit like perfumes, you know, where the the price is very high and you got to keep buying more from time to time. And it's something that you anyone can sell in the sense that there are standard formulas, right? Okay, take a multivitamin. 
like you just have to buy a multivitamin stick your label on it and there you go arman mm-hmm. multivitamin men's health special and you're in the money you know who can make a lot of money in a certain niche women because women that are hardcore into makeup perfume jewelry they're very loyal to their brand have you ever heard of fashion nova i have not so fashion nova you may have probably seen some of their ads when you're scrolling through instagram so they have this brilliant strategy where they partner with influencers they make the influencers wear these uh, dresses which automatically uh, are catching your attention it's one of those dresses that are meant to showcase your curves so immediately guys are paying attention girls are paying attention and the girls obviously want the dresses for themselves and a lot of guys want to buy those dresses for their girlfriends so fashion nova is selling to men and to women and i believe the ceo is a man i could have sworn the ceo would have been a woman especially because how brilliant the plan is uh, but i'm pretty sure it's a man um but to sell to women uh, they're they're a great customer to have arman we don't want to get the podcast cancelled okay don't assume his gender <laughs> he could be a woman <laughs> no so his name is richard sagian <laughs> they have over a billion dollars in annual sales mm. and i believe this is a pretty new company as well relatively I've noticed that a lot of money is spent by brands on influencers now. Like earlier they would spend money on celebrities, mm-hmm. but nowadays it looks like influencers are the new celebrities. And yeah, so like if you like expensive ways of spending ad money like on TV, that seems to be heavily reducing. Advertisements in newspaper are cheaper and cheaper, but people are spending money on social media ads. and influencer marketing and it seems to be working because if you take a person of today what media are they actually consuming they're not reading newspapers and less and less of them watch tv most people today either watch netflix youtube or they read articles or something like that or you know social media like twitter etc So all the ad money is now being spent on influencers and Twitter ads and Facebook ads and Google ads etc. Mhm. Do people ever approach you with a certain deal for you to promote? It happens every week but I never take them because I just don't use these products right. In the sense that if there's a company which you know supplies food in the sense like you know have you seen these companies which supply food to corporates? like plated to the cafeterias not to the cafeterias in the sense that let's say you're working and in your office you have two options for lunch either you could go out or you could bring homemade food to your desk every day oh i haven't heard of it but that sounds like a smart business idea yeah there's lots of companies that are doing this type of stuff and typically you get a lot of these con- companies contacting me but since i don't use these services it's really it's not right for me to recommend them in the sense that if i was using something and i liked it i would recommend it and i do give recommendations for stuff i like and use 
but for something I've never heard of, never used, that doesn't is that is not something I will promote. So the LMM promise is that if I recommend you a product, I either like and use it, or I will tell you that I don't like and use it. Interesting. So money is not a factor for you in terms of doing these deals. It's really not. I make way too much money, and it doesn't really matter to me to make like a few extra thousand bucks. It doesn't. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't make a difference whatsoever. Have you ever struggled with that point in your life where you're broke? Not that broke. I've never been homeless broke. Mm-hmm. But like you were eating yeah. ramen noodles. Hot dogs? No, 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 no. You See, never in India, we, we live with our families, right? So that bullshit doesn't happen to us. Interesting. That is interesting because there was this one period, Harsh, where I was in college and it was me and my brother. We were living in this one-bedroom apartment. And one of my brother's best friends just got kicked out of his house and he needed a place to stay. And me and my brother, we know this guy. Obviously, we're not going to make him live in the streets, but he was living with us. Now, mind you, it's three dudes living in a one-bedroom crib, and it was difficult, uh, but and we never articulated it to this fellow because he got kicked out. He's over here worrying about how to pay his bills, how to pay his classes, and it was one of my first ever glimpses with what it's like when you're living in that sort of uncertainty. Yeah, I have no idea why Westerners like to live alone. It's a waste of money and it kind of like diverts your priorities, right? If you are living with your family, then you can focus on things like business without having to worry about, say, cooking food or, you know, a bunch of random stuff gets done for you and then you can focus on things that you care about and things that you should be focusing on as a young man. Like there's only so much time you have in your youth where you can build a business, etc. And if you're spending that time taking care of the house, cleaning it, making your own food, half the time is already gone. Plus all the stress, uncertainty, and the money it takes to pay rent, that needs to be spent on your business, not on like some landlord. So yeah, the Western culture thing makes life harder for people. It doesn't make it easier. And this is despite the fact that Westerners seem to think that it's cool to live alone and people who live with their family are losers. But if you go to the East, everyone lives with their family. And it's a happier life. You have more company. You can take care of your parents. You get to spend more time with your parents. And, you know, you don't have to worry about these stupid things like, you know, missing a rent payment and things like that. And you can focus on business or whatever career you have chosen. Like if, if you if you like do the math, okay? If you do the math, I can like literally prove that Westerners rarely see their parents in the sense that their parents don't exist in their life after the age of say 20. Arman, how often does the average white guy meet his parents? Mm, three to five times a year. Well, depending on where they're from. I mean, there's a lot of nuances to that let's say that someone is from new york but their family and they say let's say someone's family lives in new york Mm -hmm. and they live in california how often are these guys gonna meet in a year 
realistically. Three to five times. Three to five times. Three to five times, right? So these guys, let's say that the fa- you know when he moves to California, he's 21 years old, okay? And let's say hypothetically that his parents are 41 years old or maybe more because Americans kind of have, they have children late. Let's say the parents are 51 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. And let's say that in the U.S. people live till the age of 80. Now, if you do the math, this guy, he doesn't have 30 more years with his parents. He has 150 to 210 meetings with his parents. No, sorry, 90 to 150 meetings with his parents in his entire life. And that's it. In mm. other words, I meet my parents 365 times a year. The, like This guy is going to meet his parents for less time than I do in a year. He's going to spend half a year or less with his parents for the rest of his life. That's bullshit. Do you see any pros with moving out? The pros are that you become more independent. You have more control over your life. But I I think the cons severely outweigh the pros. But I grew up in a very traditional Hindu family. So I might be very biased here. Speaking of that, in one of our past conversations, you were mentioning that there's a lot of Western influence uh, coming into the Indian culture. Is that mm-hmm. one of the influences that's coming into the East as well, uh, moving out at a certain yeah, age? Yeah, it is. It is. A lot of people in India are also moving out. And they think, they think of it as something really cool, right? Especially the modern city people. But they're morons. I see a lot of their parents like be old, like say 70 years old. They can't go to the washroom by themselves and they have no one to take care of them. And this kid is out there doing what he wants, living alone. Like, what are you achieving by living alone? Especially when your parents are suffering in their house and they don't even see you. Their only son or their only two sons. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. But I suppose that Westerners tend to be very individualistic when they're thinking. Like the parents kick the kid out at 18 and the kid doesn't look after the parents when they're old. It's like karma. Well, there was... Have you ever heard of Shaquille O'Neal? Big dude. I have not. Okay, big dude. A famous basketball player who is mm-hmm. nowadays... Uh, he's promoting different brands. Uh, he's His face is still out there. And he was sharing a story about his son, Sharif. And mm-hmm. he said, soon as my uh, son turned 18, I gave him the suitcase and said, deuces. And he was sharing this story because... Uh, it highlights a lot of what you're saying, where the the parent is telling the kid, you need to move out, you need to experience life, and you need to do a lot of this stuff alone. Because when you do it alone, you're forced to figure it out versus, you know, your famous dad, Shaquille O'Neal, figuring it out for you. Uh, so uh, that's interesting, your perspective, where I didn't know it was such a stark difference in the East. Where in the West, absolutely, uh, this is uh, the normal mindset. It's like after 18 to, let's say, 25, which is still pushing it, you're expected to move out. And if you're 30 to 35 moving in with your parents, a lot of individuals will be like, what happened? Where did things go wrong? But you're saying that 
it's the exact opposite. In, it's the in, exact opposite here. Out of curiosity, fact, out of curiosity, do any of your friends move out? Because you said uh, nowadays things are changing. Yeah, I have some friends who live by their. Sorry, I have some friends who live by themselves, and it's fine to like go to their house, party every once in a while, and chill there. But I would not want to be their parents. Do they ever make fun of you? Just out of curiosity. No, 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 no. In India, it's like normal, right? It's not a bad thing at all. Okay. In fact, it's like people will look down on you for living alone. By the mm. people who I know who live alone, they live alone out of necessity and not by choice. In the sense that they, their families are like in some village or some small city and they have to come to the big city to make the money. So they kind of have to live alone because their family is not going to like uproot their entire life and move with this guy, right? Mm-hmm. So they're in that situation, but yeah, it's typically looked down upon if you abandon your parents like that, and rightfully so, if you ask me. Interesting. I, I never thought about it like that, where you know you're using very uh, strong adjectives like you abandon. Uh, where now I'm considering it, where because in the West, I mean, that's just the norm. Where it's a part of the growing up process, right? Um, out of curiosity, so when kids get married there, do they s- still live at home? Yeah. You just mm-hmm. buy a bigger house. Okay. So the kids have access to their grandparents, and the grandparents have access to their grandkids. And this way you can transfer the culture better to the, to the children. So, yeah, it's it's still a working, functioning society, right? Percentage-wise. In, in the West, it used to be like this, but then you know, society broke down there and now you have a bunch of individuals. Out of curiosity, percentage-wise, would you say there's more people who hold conservative values in India or more modern values in India? It depends on where you are. If you are in a village, then definitely more conservative values for sure, like without a question, without a question. But if you are in a city and you're in a richer part of a city, then definitely more liberal values. Because education tends to promote more liberality versus, you know, life experience and hardships tend to promote conservatism. Mm-hmm. Hardships. Can you say that again? So education tends to promote individual individuality, liberalism, etc., mm-hmm. versus hardships and experience tends to promote conservatism, preserving your culture, and understanding why the restrictions that are exist in the first place. And I can give you several examples of this if you like. Sure. How about you give me one example just to bring the point home? Okay. Um, I can give I can give you the simplest example that you will understand. Okay. Education will tell you, okay, everyone should have equal rights and you should not judge anyone and women and men are equal. There is no difference. You should take care of the environment at all times and et cetera, et cetera. But practical life will teach you, you know, more nuance and truth, right? Where people are not equal. Some people are better than others. Some people work harder than others. You know, some women are better than others. Women and men are built for different things in the sense that if you're a farmer, you would not want a woman to spend time plowing the field. 
when she could do something like sorting, which requires less physical effort because she's weaker. So you learn a lot of the, the reasons why these conservatives, conservative values existed if you live a life that has some hardship and physical work. But in an, in an environment where you lack experience, but you are just being educated without giving the experience and life experience, you kind of become more liberal because you are very naive. Mm -hmm. You don't understand why the restriction exists. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, an, I'll give you an example. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a story and this is kind of like, it goes like this. There's a guy who, you know, the, you know in the olden times, there used to be a city and the city would have walls. Walls? Walls. Yeah. Mm hmm so there's a gate at the back of the city that no one uses. So this guy goes up to the king and he's like, okay, king, can we break this gate down? Because no one's using it and just build a full, you know, complete the wall here. <laughs> and the king is like, sure, I will let you do that. But why do you want to break the wall down? The guy is like, I want to break the wall down because no one knows why, uh, sorry, I want to break this gate down and build like, you know, finish up the wall because no one knows why this gate exists in the first place. And the king is like, oh, no, 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 no. In that case, I'm not going to let you break the gate down. I'll let you break the gate down in only one condition. If you can tell me why the gate was built, that's mm -hmm. when I'll let you build the gate, sorry, break the gate and, you know, fill it up with concrete and complete the wall. Because if someone went to the, through the trouble of making a gate there in times past, and we know that it, ha it was used probably because it was there and it's not used anymore, we need to figure out what contingency happened that this gate was built. And then if we, if we see this contingency won't happen again, then we can break it down. Mm. Interesting. And I, I'll give you one real life example, okay? Which okay. this might happen to you you know, this might be more relatable. Do you know that Japan kind of had a tsunami in 2011? It was the worst tsunami ever in Japan. I remember that. There's this one town which has a very, very high wall and not a drop of the water of the tsunami entered this town. But the guy who made this wall, he kind of, he was a mayor of this town. He spent a lot of the town money on building this tall wall. And then people were like, so you're wasting money on this wall. What what uses what use is this wall going to be for us? And they kind of removed the mayor from office, and the mayor died later. And mm -hmm. then 20, 30 years later, we have the tsunami, and then people are like, "Oh, so this is why we have these tall walls." We forgot. Wow, I I didn't know the backstory like that. So it's a bit like that. You, if you want to change something, you need to like tell me why this rule existed in the first place. So what a lot of education does is that they lack experience. They, they are too naive. They want to remove the restrictions without understanding why the restriction exists. And if you can tell me why the restriction exists, I'm happy to support you removing it, assuming that you know the problem is not going to recur. But if your argument is just that there should be no restrictions, that doesn't make sense to me because those restrictions were put in place for some reason. And we don't know what those reasons were, but I'm interested in finding out and I can speculate what those reasons were, but until you have a legitimate answer on why they were put up, 
you talking about removing those restrictions kind of doesn't like doesn't work with me well you're literally breaking down the difference between book smarts and street smarts where when you're two book smarts you see the world in a very clean way very linear way but when you have street smarts involved as well that's when there's certain um, malleableness that you can perceive as well where world is not always clean just because it works in theory does not mean it's necessarily going to work in practicality the first time and this is where uh, have you heard of sam harris i have not a big fan i read his book it sucks well so so have you been hearing about the backlash he's been getting as of late no i kind of picked up a book by him though it's called lying and the book is shit i don't recommend reading it at all what's it about is essentially why you should be honest at all times but the logic doesn't make much sense to me and it kind of like has some bullshit info in it which is not true <laughs> well like the guy you... has an entire chapter saying that in india people lie to you because under indian culture you're supposed to tell people what they want to hear and not tell them the truth which is bullshit like that doesn't exist here so i'm not sure why he wrote that but it's not a well researched book and most of the arguments he makes are like eh, like who cares <laughs> so it's a crappy book i don't recommend reading this guy i wasted my hour reading it remember earlier how we were saying um who you would deal with and who you wouldn't deal with seems like you're a transparent sort of guy uh, but do you know his general philosophy i do not actually i've never heard of this guy outside of this book so there's a thing called the four horsemen and they're the new atheists it's sam harris daniel dennett uh, christopher hitchens and i believe the other guy's name i forgot is uh, christopher hawkins or richard dawkins so there's four of them and sam harris he has a lot of these um, debates with different religious people and he had a series of debates with jordan peterson you know jordan peterson mm-hmm. i like that guy cool guy so, so it was interesting seeing those two debate because jordan peterson talks about the importance of story while sam harris talks a lot about the importance of logic which i think both are valuable i i see them stacked upon one another i believe the story that we have of ourselves influences our identity and that plays a large part in the logic that we uh, typically validate now here's the thing as of late what happened with sam harris the very logical guy mr rationale is that he uh, got a tds trump derangement syndrome do you know what that is i am well aware i spent a lot of my time on twitter especially back in those days so he was on this podcast episode recently uh, called trigonometry and if you look through the reviews uh, and the comments this was what a lot of people call a career ending uh, interview by sam harris because you just see his trump derangement syndrome out loud and it's fascinating to watch because here is mr overly logical mr rational and any time he speaks about trump it's like his mind gets hijacked and everything that he sees is so emotional now is trump the best guy is he the worst guy that's beyond uh, what i'm speaking about right now what i'm t- talking about is that 
he's typically undermining the importance of a story. And this is the same man that is now being hijacked by a story. You should definitely watch that interview. It's with uh, Sam Harris on trigonometry. Sam Harris. Okay, I'll watch it. Seems like an interesting figure. I always find people who kind of like make an identity out of atheism did not produce valuable stuff where it's like a moot, extremely well-discussed point, right? Atheism, does God exist or not? And you're not, you know, it's impossible to add much to this conversation because a lot of it has already been done. And these guys are typically just mouthpieces and trying to create controversy to get popular but i don't know these four guys at all i'm just like this is my experience with dealing with very vocal atheists where for example if you're praying you know you have two options right like you can either like pray with them or leave them alone and let them pray but if you come and say why are you praying this doesn't do anything and like like, let, let let people pray so mm-hmm. I find typically the very vocal type of atheist to be really annoying and not very productive to have a conversation with because they tend to reject religion completely where they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Religion lasted for thousands of years and is still around in many societies today, right? There must be something, there must be a reason why it's lasted for a long time it's like the gate example you were giving earlier. Yeah, it's like the gate example I was giving earlier, right? Like the, these religions have kept society stable forever. And your atheist societies are quickly becoming LGBT. You're injecting kids with hormones. Are you sure you want to do away with religion? It, like, are you sure? <laughs> here's the thing. The mind, it is made for a story. You could be the most logical guy out there, but your mind is going to eventually be encapsulated by some sort of narrative. If you don't have the narrative, then guess what? The media is trying to give you the narrative. Uh, Maybe this episode is giving you the narrative. Someone is trying to give you the narrative. So when human beings think they're this logical creature, like this, they're this computer, it always falls flat and you'll always see which button it takes for someone's emotional sides to be exposed. It's like, if you've ever seen a computer getting built, Harsh, it's it's built in stacks, right? Uh, for the application layer to exist, the operating system needs to be there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, an operating system can exist without the application layer, but the application layer cannot exist without the operating system. Mm-hmm. For human beings, your operating system is... Uh, the story. If you factor in all of history, logic is a rather new phenomena. So if you're just saying like, I'm this logical guy, I'm going to be Mr. Rational, this and that, you're going to make a lot of errors and poor judgments when dealing with people. It's just a matter of time when that's going to happen. And with this Sam Harris situation, I mean, seeing him suffer from TDS to the point where a lot of his own fans are like, look, Sam, you need to, uh, you're acting unhinged. You need to uh, get a grasp back to yourself. Um, and this was a weird interview because he was talking about Hunter uh, Biden's um, a laptop. It should not be investigated as long as it could uh, take uh, Donald Trump down. I mean, there was a lot of 
damning stuff that he said in that interview. And it just shows you that the same people that he's mocking in terms of understanding stories, instead of uh, um, understanding culture, he is not as logical as he would like people to believe. And it's just, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's my main takeaway from this. You know, excessive hate tends, tends, tends to do that, right? Where this guy hates Trump so much that it kind of overrides his intellect. Mm-hmm. Where you're saying he has, to, he has TDS, where he hates Trump. Anything Trump does, whether good or bad, is bad for this guy. And that's what hate tends to do. It kind of makes you blind to truth. It makes mm-hmm. you see only one side. And when that side doesn't exist, it makes you imagine that side exists. And it's something right. you want to avoid because it makes you less rational. And this guy kind of made that mistake. Yeah. But politics itself is a divisible, you know, a very divisive topic. And people tend to hate one side and love the other, which is very irrational if you ask me because. If one side is perfect, then when that side comes in power, why doesn't it solve all problems and the vice versa? Like if Biden is so amazing, why do we have so much inflation and all these problems? And if Trump was so amazing, why didn't he solve those problems? They're all the same. It's just different narrative. Like the elites, they don't care about you. Here's the thing, okay, with the politicians and elites. They don't care about you at all. In their mind, you're like a germ or like a worm, earthworm. All they care about is how to get a vote out of you. That's it. That's all they care about. They could care less if you were being tortured to death. As long as you were voting for them, that's fine. And there are some rare exceptions. But the vast majority of politicians don't spend one second of their day thinking about your well-being. They think about what makes them money and what makes them vote. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions, some rare exceptions, but the vast majority of them are like this. So it doesn't make any sense to expect a politician to be good for you or bad for you. Like They don't care about you. They care about themselves. That's it. Right. How interested are you in politics? Do you keep up with the latest stories and policy changes? I could not tell you who the president of India is. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows the prime minister, right? Like Narendra Modi, but I don't know who the president is. I don't care. And yeah, I'm I'm very little knowledgeable about politics. I don't know anything. I'm going to honestly admit that. And right. yeah, I just don't follow it, don't have the time, don't have the inclination, and it's largely a waste of time. Right. What about you? Man, I'm one of those individuals who believes that you need to prioritize things. If you don't have that much influence, that much power yourself at the moment, uh, you don't have you, your own house isn't in order, your business isn't in order your improvement isn't in order, 
now is not the time to focus on politics. You'll see individuals that focus on politics that are not career po politicians do it in the later parts of their life. They've taken a lot of wisdom in. Uh, they've built their resources. They understand uh, both sides of the issues. They're not just so quick to be like, okay, I only agree with this. And let me just take in information to validate this point. They have this scientific approach. They understand the uh, soft skill side of it, the hard skill side of it. And later on in their life, now's the time to enter politics or give more political opinions that you are well aware of. And I'm talking about these individuals that are not career politicians. Uh, they've spent time building stuff in the real world. So I'm in that stage in my life where I'm still in the process of building uh, to care too much about politics. I do remain aware. Uh, I'm not trying to say like, this is the only right side and this is always wrong. I'm always trying to see why both sides have the opinions that they do. Uh, have you ever, well, I'm going to ask you an obvious question. You've heard of the scientific method, right? Uh, this is the way that we uh, see what knowledge works. And the beautiful thing about the scientific method is that it's it's a growing thing. And one of the principles of scientific method is when you have a hypothesis, you're not looking for things to validate that hypothesis. You're looking for things to uh, tear down that hypothesis to see how strong your hypothesis is. And it seems as though, and nowadays, these journalists that are supposed to be scientists, they have these hypotheses. They're supposed to, um, they should be willing to change. But nowadays, they'll have this narrative in their mind and they'll be like, okay, let me find the sources to validate this narrative. So things are backwards right now. And to change something, I believe you need to become a builder first and then use your resources later on in your life to influence change. I would say journalism was always backwards in the sense that they were always liars. It's just that they've been exposed now and people know about it. Journalism, about journalists were never honest, right? They were always making narratives and they would find whatever sources they needed for those narratives. And, they, you know, you get the headline first and then you write the story. It's like that. And journalists are mostly college interns and idiots you would not pay a thousand bucks a month and these guys are like telling you how to live your life and telling you what is right or wrong and whether you're racist or not like come on man like that doesn't make any sense like if you met the journalists in real life you would laugh at, in their face if they gave you their opinions but now you put the label cnn on it and suddenly you're taking them seriously like there's, wow. this, there's these guys who publish, like, you know, there's this, channel, there's this new channel called Swarajya Magazine. Not a channel, like a website. And they publish these articles. And I kind of followed them on Twitter for a while. And they kind of publish bullshit, right? Complete bullshit. They're like, Bitcoin is a Jesus coin. And I'm like, I'm messing, I'm, I, I replied to that tweet saying, like, okay, I'm going to pay the author $1,000 if you can get on a live call and explain to me how Bitcoin works. And why is it, why does it have anything to do with being a Jesus coin? And the author like then tweets, oh, look, the Bitcoin guys are having a meltdown. And his second tweet is, so how do we know that there can only be 21 million Bitcoin? Why can't they keep mining more? I mean, if someone's asking that question, they should not be publishing opinions about Bitcoin. Like that doesn't add up, right? Like if you don't know why there can only be 21 million Bitcoin, you have no business whatsoever 
saying that Bitcoin is a Jesus coin or it's a scam and it's supposed to, you know, whatever bullshit this guy was saying. Mm-hmm. So these journalistic pieces are not journalism. They're a business that are designed to get people to click on their article and get ad revenue from it. And they publish like one person publishes eight pieces, five pieces, four pieces a day. And you know how much that is like people who write every day, like you can't write eight pieces a day, not eight quality pieces. You just make up random shit. You just publish that's eight pieces a day. It's literally impossible to write eight articles a day, every day of the year. So this, these guys are writing eight articles a day. They just come up with whatever they want. They just find whatever tweets or something to support it. And they hit publish. They don't even read it twice because you see so many typos. And the idea is that some of these articles might go viral or might like get a lot of viewers and they'll see, you know, the guy who clicks on the article will see a Google ad and then they would make some money. That's it. That's the business. These guys are bloggers, except that they have no credibility or experience. There are a bunch of college level interns who just stamped the label CNN or Huffington Post or whatever. And suddenly people care what they have to say. Like if you met this kid in real life, you would laugh at his face. You would literally laugh at them. <laughs> and suddenly because of his label, now you're caring about his opinion. That doesn't make sense. Do you think there was ever an era where journalism was respectable? Or do you think the business model of it always opened it up for corruption? It was always opened up for corruption. Like even if you go back to the 30s, 40s, you had terms like yellow journalism, right? Where people would people would just publish, say, really volatile stuff where, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's disturbing to hear, if it's shocking, then it'll sell a lot of copies. So you make shocking shit. So yeah, journalism was always a crappy business. It's just that Trump did this benevolent thing of popularizing it. He made the term fake news a household thing. Mm-hmm. Before him, people actually trusted the media. Nowadays, very few people do. And the ones who do are older. Young people don't give a shit. I do remember the era where the media was trusted. I kid you not, man. When we were first coming to the country, uh, I would say later on, a couple of years, 98 to 2000-ish, uh, CNN was reporting war documentaries. They were putting journalists in these high, intense war areas. You could hear missiles and stuff. And uh, people would look at it and be like, this is a credible news source. But you got to think about it also, how much the digital landscape has changed. Back then, you weren't over here Googling stuff too much. There was a thing called Ask Jeeves. You remember that? Can you repeat? You remember Ask Jeeves? Never heard of it. So this was before Google was like the number one search inquiry. Uh, Yahoo was the top dog. But the other two were Google and Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves died off, and then somehow Google lapped Yahoo. But it just shows you how much changes have happened in the the information industry, where back in those days, you only had a few TV channels coming in, and a few TV channels were for sports, some for entertainment, and some for news. And whatever they said in the news, you thought, okay, this is true. 
And whenever someone would say, oh, you know, the media lies to you, right? We looked at these people like they were crazy. Yeah, these are conspiracy, uh, theorists. conspiracy theorists. But the more that information uh, technology advanced, the more that it impacted communication skills, where nowadays, I mean, I mean, CNN, these big media conglomerates are competing with solo people. So, I mean, I see the pros and the cons. The cons is that there's so much fake news, especially from these letterheads that you were supposed to trust. But nowadays, the pros is that there's a lot of these individual uh, individuals that don't have that many overhead costs where they always have to be shocking. They could cover the truth from their lens and uh, spread it out to an audience. So I would say there's some pros and cons. I will say that largely the media has not been useful to anyone in the last 20 years, except for the people who own them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Isn't it interesting how no one knows the name of this old guy who owns CNN or Huffington Post? I mean, if you're a CEO, you have to be careful of like what Huffington Post is going to say about you. But Huffington Post will never say anything about the CEO of its own company or the CEO of other news companies. So they have this, you know, unwritten agreement that we're going to attack everyone except you guys. And you guys, that that means the other newspapers, you don't attack us either. So that is, the, you know what I mean? Like, Would you rather be the king or the king maker? Because a king maker is typically the person behind the scenes. Uh, no one knows too much about them, but they have a lot of influence. So what you're describing is the kingmakers, they're behind the scenes, guys. They they put a lot of these puppets out there, uh, but they're the behind the scenes guys that's not getting as many arrows because no one knows what they look like. No, that's intentional. What I mean to say is that, let's say that you want a lot of power. So what you do is you buy a news company and now you have power to manipulate public opinion in a certain way. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, let's say you are a rich oil company. I'm just like giving you an example. And you are, say, having a lot of slave laborers. And you don't want to like be looked at upon as the bad guys. So you buy a bunch of media companies using your profits. And then you like publish a lot of good news about the oil industry. You try to suppress any bad news there is. If anyone publishes anything bad about it, you try to like hurt their credibility. You call them conspiracy theorists, whatever. And things of that sort. So I think that's a lot of what is going on right now, where almost all the almost all the media companies are owned by just a few people, like four or five people, and they're using them to publish and propagate whatever they want propagated across the public for whatever reasons they might have. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like a mass manipulation program, right. And regarding the kingmaker stuff, I'm not sure. Like, it depends. Historically, everyone wants to be the kingmaker, right? Like, if you take the church, after the church got the authority to decide who is the king or anoint the king, give him the crown, the church had more power than the king. Mm. So it kind of depends on the situation. So I'm reading this book called Sons of Wichita. Have you heard of it? 
sounds familiar, but I think it's a song. I th- maybe I've heard the song. Possibly. So, have you ever heard of the Koch brothers? Charles and David Koch. Charles, David, and then there's two more. There's Frederick and Bill. And all of them grew up in this place called Kansas, Wichita. And overall, the book talks about how uh, they grew up under their father's shadow, how they were very competitive brothers growing up. And as they started to grow up even more, Charles took control over uh, the uh, the company, Coke Industries, and he turned it into an empire where he never went public. Multiple investors were saying, okay, you're at that stage right now where you're supposed to go public. Everyone goes public around this stage, uh, but he wouldn't go public because he had a certain philosophy for how to run his company. And he always kept it in-house. And he believes that he has uh, cracked the code for uh, building prosperity. And he has this theory called market-based management. Long story short, he ends up uh, building uh, this empire. He uh, gets a net worth of over $40 billion. Uh, his, nice. brother, his brother, David, same, uh, over $40 billion. And one thing about them, Harsh, was when they were youngsters, their father hated communism. Uh, he believed that governments should stay out of individual rights. So that's something that stuck with Charles and David's subconscious mind. So as they grew up, uh, they started to fund a lot of these super PACs, a lot of these think tanks. And it was it was well known that if the Koch brothers uh, invested in you, then you will have a successful political career. Uh, so they started to be known as the kingmakers because these guys are billionaires. These guys are behind the scenes sort of guys. So people didn't know about their influence for a long time, but roughly around 2008, more and more lawmakers were aware of these two. Uh, so anytime you hear Koch brothers in the general public, it's normally a negative perception. Uh, so the Sons of Wichita book breaks down their behind the scenes stories because you don't hear a story like that too much. Do you, Harsh? Where it's a private company, a guy uh, has a certain philosophy, he treats his business like a mad scientist and he like it's impossible to go through your day without touching at least one of coke's products but no one knows much about them uh, besides the negative parts uh, so they're some of the kingmakers that eventually became well known uh, and uh, they got they got a lot of negative publicity out of it tell me more tell me about their story so their story was um they were four very, very competitive brothers uh, growing up. Like their dad was this big uh, six foot four guy and he would have the the four brothers box against each other. The oldest brother never liked this. The oldest brother, his name is Frederick and he was more of an artist. Uh, So he didn't like the business at all. Uh, The second oldest was Charles Koch. He's the most well-known one. And the next two are the twins, Bill and David. Where it gets interesting, Harsh, is that by the time they're 20 to 30, um, the dad is about to die. So he asks Charles Koch uh, to uh, come back, move back to uh, Wichita, and run the empire, right? Back then, it was already a successful company. It was making a couple of million dollars a year. But Charles Koch was this mastermind scientist engineering guy. He got all these degrees from MIT, 
And he was going to grow it. He was very aggressive in terms of growing it. And what happened was two of the brothers started a civil war with two of the other brothers. So Charles and David were on one side and Bill and Frederick were on the other side. So this civil war lasted for over a decade where one pair of brothers were suing the other pair of brothers for control. So I thought it was such a fascinating story. I'm like, how does anyone not know about this? I mean, these brothers have as much influence as uh, the Rockefellers in our modern era, but no one knows about them. Uh, so um, Coke Industries, um, it has uh, tons of influence in uh, the energy field, the oil fields. Uh, it makes baby uh, diapers. It owns Georgia Pacific. So it's highly diversified. It's very difficult to kill. Um, Charles Koch is still in charge. And uh, let me know if you want to know anything else. I mean, I could keep talking about this guy for some time. Go ahead, man. This seems very interesting. Tell me, why did uh, the other two brothers lose the civil war? Like, what happened? So here's what happened. Charles and David were highly involved in the company. And Bill, one of the twins, he he always despised Charles growing up because he felt as though Charles was a bully. Uh, Frederick was the artist. He didn't really care. Uh, but these two brothers that were not that involved in the business, they felt as though they should be getting more uh, payments because they were some of the wealthiest people in the U.S., but it was on paper. Uh, they were technically um, worth over $500 million, uh, but uh, Bill was over here asking for a loan to still buy a house because this ah, is... Liquidity. Yeah, so he was like, uh, he was like to Charles, hey, how come uh, uh, the shareholders don't get more dividend payments? You know what? We should take this company public. And when Bill said that to Charles, Charles was like, I will never take Coke Industries public over my dead body. And that's when Frederick, the artist, he didn't really care. He just wanted his money. Bill, he wanted higher dividend payments. So both of these two paired up and they wanted to go against Charles to get more control over this company. So after plenty of lawsuits later, Charles eventually bought out their shares. They got the money. They tried to do more lawsuits, but Afterwards, the government was like, all right, man, you guys are done. Uh, take the money and dip. But I thought it was just fascinating that there was a civil war between these billionaire brothers. That's interesting, man. I, what, one thing I also found interesting is that this guy has so much control over his company, uh, Coke Industries, and he never went uh, public because he didn't want to be one of these guys that's always answering to Wall Street, uh, focusing on quarterly earnings. And this was so different than the other billionaires that get so much publicity, uh, uh, where they are public. Uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, the three of the most well-known billionaires. Where Coke is like this behind-the-scenes guy. He doesn't have to really answer to anyone. Uh, he owns so much power over this organization. And the book was talking about how he created his own little utopia where anything that he says, it will go, um, especially because he's very well thought out. He's very methodical. And when you look at him, he seems like this friendly grandpa, but people don't know that he's like this mogul as well. 
interesting book, Sons of Wichita, and there's another book called Copeland. Uh, both are books that I recommend reading if you want to know more about uh, this family. The links will be in the description. Think about it, Harsh. Would you ever want to, out of curiosity, um, let's say you're starting a company. Are you the kind of guy that would want to go public? It depends. Do I need the money or not? I don't know. Do you? It, like I said, it depends, right? Like if, if I think the business might grow a lot by the IPO money, then yes. But generally, I, I'm not. I'm not convinced by getting an IPO done just for the sake of it, because you lose equity of your own company, and then you have to make sure that you make earnings or your share price goes down, and you have to manage your share price. Like back when I was an accountant, I had clients who ran public companies. And it was a pain. Like they were doing things that didn't impact the business whatsoever, but had become necessary, like planting good stories in newspapers, buying their own stock, you know, behind the scenes just to like keep the share price high. Because what happens to you, let, let's say that your company's stock price falls down 60% by say you miss a bunch of earnings numbers or whatever, some bad news shows up in the press. It impacts your business, even though nothing has changed in your business. Say banks will stop lending to you because they think you're going bankrupt. Your suppliers will not give you credit. They want the money immediately because they think that you might like stop paying your companies going under because the share price is collapsing. And that creates a negative feedback loop, right? You can't get money from anywhere. You have to pay creditors up front. So that means that your business is going to make even more losses. And that's going to like reduce the share price even more and it's a it's a bad spiral and a lot of these guys would spend a considerable amount of their time essentially managing this stuff which doesn't impact their business at all so i don't know i suppose when i get to that stage i'll figure out whether i would go public or not mm -hmm. but i've been on the side as an accountant and i have seen the negative sides of it too Right. So, yeah, it depends, man. Mm -hmm. I I'll tell you one thing. Go ahead. Well, I always just thought that for you to be a billionaire, you needed to go public eventually. And that's why, that's why I was very fascinated with this story because here is one of these guys that resisted the temptation multiple times. I mean, his own brother was waging the civil war against him because he was refusing to go public and yet he stuck to his guns and he was able to uh, show up at the end of the day so it just shifted my perspective regarding wealth where i realized that you could accumulate an immense amount of wealth but you don't always have to go public and his reasons why was also uh, very stunning as well see i'll tell you something that most billionaires in the world are not public figures Mm -hmm. Like maybe six out of 10 are not public figures or maybe even seven or eight out of 10 because there's a lot of billionaires, a lot of billionaires in Saudi Arabia, Dubai. How many of them do you know about? None. Exactly, right? These guys are pumping billions of dollars of petrol and diesel every, every day out of, this, out of the ground. They're making incredible amounts of money but you don't know of them. You don't know their name. 
You don't know how much money they have. You don't know where they live. These guys are anonymous, essentially. <laughs> so, yeah, these guys are. There's a lot of billionaires that you know nothing about, and the popular billionaires you keep hearing about every day, but those are rare. Like Elon Musk is an exceptionally rare type of billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, because he he's pretty much a celebrity right now. Yeah, pretty much he's a celebrity. But there are like billionaires who literally no one knows anything about. Like like a couple of months ago, there was a Bitcoin transaction where someone moved one billion dollars worth of Bitcoin from one address to a different one. Mm-hmm. Like it was some guy who has a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Right. He has like 16, 17,000 Bitcoin in that one UTXO. So he could have like many more UTXOs like this. The point being that this guy could be anyone. He could be a kid or like some guy. Yeah. Well, I would say that's one of the best feelings, isn't it, Harsh? Where you're wealthy, no one knows you're wealthy, and you get to move how you want to move. You could travel anywhere you want to travel. You don't have random people coming to you on the streets like, give me some money, please. I need it for X, Y, and Z reason because no one knows about you. I honestly, at times I I love your strategy where, where when you don't show your face, that level of privacy is a form of wealth in itself. I can 100% guarantee that, like 100%. I know a bunch of celebrities and fuck that bullshit. Yeah. We Plus talked about like this before. You, yeah, we talked about this before. Plus it has other advantages, you know, like you you can like live how you want to live without worrying about people, you know, photographing you and putting it up on the net, whatever. Like I can go out of the house wearing really old shabby clothes. Let's say I do that, suppose, for example. And I don't have to worry about someone taking a picture of me and then putting up, putting it up online. Like, hey, this guy says you should look good and should be sharp, and mm-hmm. look what this guy's wearing. Like, even though it might just be one day out of three sixty-five days, but yeah. it's something that you have to care about if you're a public figure. Yeah, the the opposite side of the case is when you are famous and you have an insane level of fame. Let's say like the Kardashians, you could find a product that's already working. You just slap your name on it, and boom, you could just instant become a billionaire that's what happened with kylie jenner as she started to sell these makeup uh, these lipstick uh just by putting her name on it i'm sure she understood the workflow and boom she became one of the youngest billionaires out there so uh, there's some pros as well where it's this cheat code it's a leverage that could help you skip some steps when you're that famous definitely i think it's like free marketing right if you if you're popular have you heard you of the Kardashians? Have you heard of the heard Kardashians? Of them, yes. I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. I I think it's this one guy who's a singer who's married to this one other chick. Kanye West. Yeah, that guy. Oh, well, they divorced recently. Oh, why so? Not sure why. Uh, they divorced. I would say over a year ago, and once they divorced, she started to see this other a person named Pete Davidson, and. All this knowledge ah, is... You were telling yeah. me about it, right? The guy with the tattoos. Yeah, probably. And so do you know how they got famous in the first place? 
I do not. I've heard there's some sex tape or something, but I just don't know anything about it. Well, even before that, their father, uh, his name was Robert Kardashian. He was one of the representatives for O.J. Simpson. And O.J. Simpson, if you haven't heard of him, was one of the uh, best running backs in the NFL. And he was charged with murdering his uh, wife. And he was one of those people, O.J. Simpson, that got away. He was deemed innocent, but the general public knows that he's guilty, right? So that's how it initially started. Robert Kardashian represented O.J. Simpson. Now, fast forward a couple of years, around 2005 to 2006, Kim Kardashian has a sex tape with this guy named Ray J. This uh, sex tape ends up blowing up, and suddenly uh, they get their own reality show. As soon as the Kardashians get their own reality show, it becomes a hit and it becomes a hit for so long that I believe the show's been out for over a decade. So this is one of those things where now you're analyzing the culture. You're like, uh, a lot of the interviewers are asking the Kardashians, what do you exactly do? Why are you famous <laughs> for? <laughs> right? Well, why are you fa- we get your dad. I mean, she, he was a lawyer, but why are you guys famous for? And it's just crazy because they're famous for being famous. It's it's one of those <laughs> things that you've never seen before. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Right? And so Kim Kardashian's a billionaire. Her little sister, uh, Kylie Jenner, is a billionaire. So it's like you're famous for being famous, and now you're producing immense amount of wealth. What is going on? Yeah, what do you think about the influencer industry? In the sense that there's so many people who want to be an influencer now that I bet that in the next decade, this market will be so saturated that unless you already have hit some critical number, it would be really, really hard. Like nowadays, it's like really hard to get a podcast going because the market is so saturated Mm -hmm. that people, it's very difficult to get people to listen to a new podcast. And it's fine for guys like us who do it for fun. Like we don't, we don't like do it as a career. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do podcasting as a career, it's really, really hard right now because this this isn't something that you can multitask, right? If someone's listening to a podcast, they can only listen to one podcast at a time. Yeah. So there's only so much amount of time someone can listen to podcasts. So there is, the demand is limited in supply, essentially. The demand is limited, but the number of podcasts keep increasing. Joe Rogan is always publishing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to get a new podcast going. It's hard to get traction. Well, it depends. Uh, it depends who you're focusing on. I mean, th- this is a concept that I've brought up a few times, but I believe more podcasts are going to come out and more podcasts are going to get more and more niched. Because think about our, our podcast. I mean, what kind of podcast are we really? <laughs> We're just talking about a bunch of things that you can't necessarily always market mainstream, but there's these pockets of people that, would like to listen to us. So you're definitely right about that, where more and more podcasts are going to come up. But I believe more and more people are going to develop 1,000 true fans rather than trying to target mainstream success first. What I'm I'm saying is a bit different. What I'm saying is that right now, there's a ratio of, say, audience to influencers. But this ratio is worsening every day where more and more people are trying to like become influencers. But attention is a zero-sum commodity. 
where there's no new attention coming up in the world, right? Like the number, amount of attention in the world is the same. Mm-hmm. And we have more and more people competing for the same amounts of attention. So this would yeah. be like, uh, what do you say? Uh, have, do, are you familiar with the power law? Yeah, sort of. So it's Go like ahead. the power law where like the, 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 say the top guy gets most of the attention. He gets more attention than the guy who's number two and the rest combined. The number two guy gets more attention than the guy who's number three and the rest combined. The guy who's number three gets more attention than the number four and the rest combined. So it would be something like there's going to be a bunch of people who already have huge audiences who get most of the attention, but newer people are hard to come by. It's harder to build a new audience. And you see this nowadays everywhere. Like if you, uh, if you want to be a YouTuber, mm-hmm. what it takes to be a YouTuber in 2022 is much, much more than what it took to be a YouTuber in 2014. And oh, it's yeah. only been eight years. Mm-hmm. And eight years from now, it's going to be even more competitive. The standards would be even higher. And yeah, so I think that's a thing. Where if you are someone, you need to, if you are, if you want to start an online business, you need to start building an audience today because every year it's getting harder. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, the, the talk regarding fame, because I was, I was, one time doing some research in regards to what creates fame in the first place. And in the initial stages, Harsh, before we had all this wireless communication, it was predominantly through gossiping, where if you're in a small localized area, uh, people were gossiping. They'd be like, hey, did you hear X, Y, and Z did such and such? And that gossiping is one sort of fame. This is known as a bad sort of fame. Later on, it became who was skilled. Let's say in your village, you're the guy that's known as a fighter. Now they're talking about you, but in a positive light. But notice something. Everything is limited towards a location, like your village, right? Mm -hmm. Then more time started to go on by. Telegraph came out. Radio came out. TV came out. Mass communication started to happen. And in the beginning stages, it was you became famous if you were highly skilled in something. Muhammad Ali one of the biggest celebrities back in the days. Why did he become famous? Two things. One, he was a brilliant trash talker. Two, he knew how to box. So this was a skilled individual that became magnified with attention. Boom, famous. Nowadays, since information technology is so rich, uh, I mean, this this mic, I got it today. I, I ordered it yesterday. I could literally just start a podcast today uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is so much more people have access to information technology where back in the days, you needed to be skilled in order to be famous. But nowadays, you don't really need to be skilled. A lot of people are trying to skip that and be are like, how can I be famous first? I think that's one of the reasons why so much people act ridiculous online. I downloaded TikTok and I was watching some content. I was going to uh, start getting some of my YouTube videos and posting shorts on TikTok. I kid you not, man. That app, just being a consumer for, let's say, 10 minutes, gave me the worst headache. I'm like, so many people are acting like straight-up idiots. And this is this could be the future, where people are skipping the skill and jumping straight to fame first. 
I agree. In fact, do you know what kids want to be? You know, you know, like if you ask a kid, what do you want to be? What's the most popular answer you get today? Do you know that? No. Influencer. Like earlier, kids would want to be astronauts or doctors, but now kids want to be influencers because it's so glamorous. Um, but the thing here's this, okay? Here's the thing. YouTube has these things called like shorts, right? Yeah. Where you watch like a three, three, three four second clip. And just the other day, I was essentially what the kind of they came up and I watched them for like five, 10, 15 minutes. And at the end of those 15 minutes, I was, I felt exhausted mentally. It was like, I had just been so overstimulated for like 15 minutes straight that I just wanted to go to sleep or like not do anything. Like, I'm okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to rest for a bit. <laughs> it's something that's really exhausting. Like, even though you keep running the dopamine every 10, 20 seconds, it's very addictive, but you also get exhausted. So it hurts the productivity more than just the time you wasted on it. You can't do productive things right after getting so much dopamine. Right. And it's because all the content pieces are different. So it seems like a very small movement with your thumb. But for your mind, it's a big deal. Because at one moment, you're learning how to read a book per week. Next moment, you're seeing people doing the latest viral challenge. The next moment, you're seeing something else. So your mind is going all over the place. And you're conditioning the distraction muscle. And this is just making you more tired. So what did you do after that? I mean, did you get work done or were you that exhausted where you couldn't even get the work done? No, I wasn't that exhausted, but I just like did something else. You know, mm -hmm. I did something that's like less mentally consuming. But yeah, I was I was shocked that people watch this regularly. Like you can't get a lot of work done if you are consuming so much dopamines. Well, that's what I was asking, dude, because when I was on TikTok, I was like, let's see what this is about. Uh, if I'm going to be posting videos on it soon, let me check it out. And I did the same thing. I was on it for 15 minutes. And since the clips are so short, I'm sure I saw dozens of it. And afterwards, I felt tired. I needed to go driving and pick something up. I'm like, mm, this could wait for a little bit. Now, imagine someone whose entire day is like that. Like they're going to the bathroom at work. They're watching all these different videos. They're coming back to their cube. They're watching all these videos when they don't hear footsteps in the back. And their whole day is pretty much in that constant state of being tired. It's crazy to me, man. I mean, short form content is good, but it's also bad as well. I believe it's good for the creator because you have this entire backlog of material and you could repurpose it in a completely different light. It's good for the consumer as in it's entertaining, but it's ruining your focus so much where these episodes where me and you are talking for over an hour and 30 minutes and we're capable of focusing. This is not something that everyone can do. This is going to require a lot of skill, especially in the coming years. Man, it's amazing for the creators because it's very easy to make short TikTok videos. I have mm -hmm. a guy who handles TikTok for me and it's super fast. Like he can make a TikTok video in like a minute versus making a YouTube video will take like hours. So it's amazing for the creators, but for the consumers, it's shit. Like yeah. you are literally destroying your attention span. Mm -hmm. You're watching so many 30 second videos that 
your brain gets used to being stimulated every 30 seconds and then when you're not being stimulated every 30 seconds you can't focus yeah so when i was on tiktok uh, a couple of weeks back have you ever heard of andrew tate i have heard of him yes i've actually spoken to him a few times on twitter recently not recently like on his earlier accounts so that's a big thing where he was technically on our side of twitter before um and a lot of the accounts in our universe knew him heard about him uh, but as of late he started to blow up he was all over tiktok all over youtube and multiple platforms and did you hear that he got banned off a bunch of platforms recently yeah man censorship is crazy like he got banned across all platforms all of and them and then these all of them and these companies are issuing statements like we won't be allowing this type of content on our platforms etc like come on man like this was some government level ban if you ask me where this guy gets banned on all platforms at the same time mm-hmm. that's some coordinated effort someone made to take him down yeah so i didn't know it was through all different platforms and it's crazy man because at one side i mean this is their platform they could do whatever they want then the other side it's like when you ban someone what are you really doing it, now more and more people are going to get curious about what he was saying so i mean what are your thoughts in regards to andrew tate i, I recall you did make a tweet about him saying he's a great speaker uh, what else did you think i don't agree with all of his opinions obviously right mm-hmm. but I don't think he should have been banned and censored. Like it's not the right thing to do. We are not in a society where people who do who you don't agree with are just like not allowed to speak. This is not communist Russia. So, I don't know why you know we're living like as if we're in communist Russia where if you if people don't like you enough, then you are unperson on the internet. Like your accounts are deleted. you're defamed left and right and yeah you you just can't be on social media anymore like that's not right mhm what i recall a while back especially on our side of twitter where he would make an account it would be popping it, it would grow to let's say 25000 followers and then and it would be gone yeah it would be gone and then he'd create another account and i recall this one time he had an account of this fat white guy with a bunch of pimples on his yeah, face yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious because he was still tweet with the <laughs> uh, the tate voice but then you see that face and it just <laughs> an outsider coming in they're like wait what what's going on here but this was happening to him in 2020 or let's even back it up to 2019 and i believe him having those moments of his twitter account constantly getting banned allowed him to set up this TikTok strategy or TikTok/YouTube strategy where he has a bunch of people are creating accounts under his name and then getting his content and sharing it from his platform so he decentralized himself uh, to a certain extent so when they're banning Tate are they also banning those accounts as yes, well yes they are they are they are oh damn this guy essentially got unpersoned from the net if you're associated with him or share his content you are at the risk of being banned 
And that's that's actually what this TikTok guy said, right? This TikTok spokesperson said that we have no place for misogynistic content. And we are investigating all accounts posting clips of this guy. And we are going to take it down eventually. So right. this guy essentially got Alex Jones. Jones. What does Alex Jones do nowadays? Are you I have no idea. I don't know anything about this guy except for the fact that he got removed from the internet. But apparently he was, yeah, he's popular in the US. Like in India, no one's heard of him. Alex Jones? Alex Jones, yeah. Mm-hmm. But about Andrew Tate, like, I think this can happen to anyone. Like this guy was edgy as hell. And, you know, she, he, he would have sometimes legitimate reasons for being banned. Like he would dox people. But... I don't understand why you can't post a clip of him saying something like he's not a terrorist. Right? Like it's not good. Like if he says something and you post a clip, it's not going to incite anyone to kill someone or blast a building or something like that. So it's clearly not a risk. And he has the free speech to give his opinion out. So it makes zero sense whatsoever to essentially not allow any clip of him to exist on social media. Do you think they're going to be successful with that though? Yeah, I think so. You think so? Yeah. Because he had a lot of people sharing his content. Yeah, it's a super simple thing to remove all of it. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I'm i making a prediction. I won't say it's the end of him yet. I'm sure he'll find something else to do uh, to be bought back in the public awareness because when his Twitter accounts kept getting banned like that three years ago, I would have never predicted that he was going to come back in this year and blow up the way that he did. So I'm just throwing out this prediction. I believe he still has another story left to tell. Maybe, maybe I'm just, I don't care about Andrew Tate. I don't think this is about Andrew Tate. I think this is about the the fact that, yeah, it's, it's like you can't, you have people regulating what you can and can't say. That's literally it. Mm-hmm. And these social media companies are doing it. And the thing is that when these social media companies get banned in other countries, like in Nigeria, or sometimes they get banned in India, these companies are like, oh, you guys are hurting free speech. People should be allowed to say what they want. And these governments are bad. But then they themselves don't care about free speech. So I really hope there's some crypto solution to social media in the future. And these companies are essentially just cut out. I wonder if that's going to happen because, I mean, this is multiple times where it happened, where Trump got the band, Tate got the It's going to happen. It's just going to take a long time. I recall Milo got banned. Remember Milo? What do you mean Milo? Um, It's a drink, right? No, there was this guy named Milo Yiannopoulos, 2016-2017. Never heard of him. Dude, he was, so, I believe he was gay, but he spoke a lot of beliefs that were conservative, which people weren't used to seeing. And this was the era where Jordan Peterson was blowing up, around the 2016 era. And he seemed like, Milo seemed like one of these guys that you couldn't cancel because he was so witty. Uh, He had this uh, British charm to the way that he delivered his message. And nowadays, you don't even hear about him anymore. Yeah, so with Milo, one of the reasons that he was blowing up was because he wasn't what you would expect uh, 
for him to have the opinions that he did uh, because he was one of these guys that was completely against political correctness. So he was going uh, into these different college places, a lot of these journalist areas, and he was making fun of uh, feminism. He was making fun of uh, people's height, their weight. And there was this one time he made fun of this uh, uh, this black actress and a bunch of his followers attacked the black actress. And I believe that's why he was banned off Twitter because some people said that that was inciting violence. So that was the last time I heard about him. But before then, it's like you couldn't turn on YouTube without seeing him every now and then. Man, if that law from on Twitter, you know, if that rule was applied to everyone, an entire religion would just vanish from the internet. I mean, you're one of these guys that reads a lot of these uh, compliance policies. Is there anything that Andrew Tate or the situation regarding Milo that I said that sticks out? I mean, are they slick with their words or are they very direct in those compliance policies? You know, those compliance policies tend to be somewhat direct, but yeah, they have a lot of, they're too wide in the sense that, you know, if they define hate speech, it's going to be like calling someone an animal or comparison with insects and things like that, or you know, saying anything bad about a particular group. So if you say, I don't like old people or old people are XYZ thing, you are in violation of their policy, which they may or may not enforce, but they have the option to do so. Mm. So essentially every single person who's tweeting is in violation of some or the other policy. Have you ever been put in a timeout on Twitter? Not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay, I know you, it's happened with Instagram, right? It didn't happen on my account. It happened on IM's account that my team happens to run. Oh, okay. But yeah, Instagram seems to be much less free speech friendly than Twitter. Twitter is way better than Instagram and Twitter isn't good. So Dude, it tells I, you something about Instagram, doesn't it? No, Instagram's really bad, man. Where I have this one friend who posts a bunch of conspiracy theories on Instagram and he's lost so many different friends uh, because of his Instagram stories. And before he used to get, let's say 5,000 views on each of his stories, as of late, he gets 25 views. I mean, it's this astronomical decline where you could tell the content of his stories are getting uh, ghosted. What's it called? Shadow band? Shadow band, yes. That's why, man, I mean, just relying on one platform, I believe those days are done. You need to have multiple platforms that you speak on. Otherwise, you're way too open to risk. There's this old saying, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. That's what happens when you have only one platform. But I also understand why people have only one platform. Where it's actually, it's like a full-time job to maintain like a lot of different platforms, isn't it? Like if you're producing videos, tweets, article, you also have a newsletter. That's mm -hmm. a full-time job right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, the, your entire day is done. So I get it when people have only one platform. But yeah, it, it's a shitty thing on these large companies part. And 
we need better laws to protect free speech, essentially, because like it or not, and even if these are private companies, these companies are essentially the platforms that people use to express themselves. And to act like these are just private companies who can do whatever they want is just disingenuous, you know. Bro, I'm still team email list, Harsh. Yeah, me too. But the same thing can happen to your email list. Well, you know, Gmail can like just say, so any email that comes from this domain should go directly to spam. Ah. I'm thinking... I'm thinking about some solutions. No, you you are right about that. Where there are there's certain buzzwords that can be registered with spam. It's a it's a unique time, man. Where there are a lot of opportunities, uh, but then there's a lot of these shadow sides that you see, and you don't necessarily know about these shadow sides until you become a creator. Because when you see the when you become a creator on these different platforms. That's when you're starting to see that these boundaries are blurred, where you're thinking, no, I could definitely say that. And then you'll see someone else getting uh, canceled for that. I mean, the Andrew Tate thing was pretty shocking to me because, I mean, from the minimal content that I saw of him, because he kept popping up on my feed, he seemed as though he was being uh, like, he was being this WWE character. It seemed like a lot of it was for comedic purposes. Uh, So, him getting canceled like that from all these different platforms, I mean, that was pretty intense. See, I'll tell you what. The goal of all of these companies is to censor to the degree and so publicly that people start self-censoring in the sense that if you're a creator, you see other people getting banned for saying something that these companies don't want them to say. And their goal is that you won't say it in the first place. So they won't have to censor you. Like you will censor yourself. You think we you said get any- me? Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder That's in- their goal. Yeah, I wonder in the future, because this these episodes, we go so many different topics. I wonder if we'll ever say something like that. All these, all these amazing episodes, man. I don't think that we have much to worry about because um yeah we you you can't tell but it's not like we make any money off youtube anyway right like youtube can just ban us and youtube can go fuck itself yeah i mean these are fun and this is something that we were speaking about before uh this episode where i I was like harsh i talk to you a lot you know because if you factor in all of our episodes we have what 29 at this point yeah it's hours and hours of topic topics i'm like man harsh i probably have spoken to you more than a lot of people out there <laughs> see i know you man <laughs> true true that man see if you ever visit india i would love to have you absolutely I, that's one of the places i want to visit i know my parents went there for a honeymoon when they initially got married so i definitely Your parents are from india right no they're from uh bangladesh bangladesh is a part is of india. india yeah yeah you'll say that um I want to go. I want to check out the Taj Mahal. Yeah, I would love to have you here and I would love to show you around. So let me know when you come here. So it's cool. Like if we, if I come, we're allowed to meet up. Yeah, don't worry. Okay. 
there was this uh, there was this moment a while back 2019 or so uh mm-hmm. one of the big accounts uh chris johnson he was uh, with, i know that guy yeah he was with this tall white guy and he's like guess who oh wait right? he's a gay guy no no he was with a tall white guy and he's like guess who and that white guy was an anonymous account before uh, his name was uh, james holt and i believe he went by scotty sss oh, so, i know that guy as well yeah so 2018 a, yeah so he was doing a face reveal when chris johnson went to visit europe so i thought that was dope how is that guy doing are you in touch with him who scotty sss no i i haven't kept in touch with him um we did talk uh, in a, a lot in 2018-2019 but uh, you know different accounts uh, get together uh, do their own thing for a while um he seems like a great account he was one of those individuals that introduced uh, me to what dropshipping was like i never did a dropshipping business but i learned a lot from that account i bought his ebook back in 2018 it was about starting niche websites mhm uh, and it was an interesting book like of course today this entire book is outdated mm-hmm. but back then i found it interesting there's so many different business opportunities out there man there are so many different business opportunities it's like it's insane like you can drown in money there's so much money on the internet mm-hmm. you can make so much cash so fast it's just that people don't try and they they just want to keep complaining okay if you tell someone that you can make money on the internet they'll say Okay so you tell me what to do how to do it and you give me an idea like no one is ever going to share a proper working idea and hand over a business to you mm-hmm. that's not how it works that's a, that's for you to figure out it But comes down to li- desire yeah. where mm-hmm. go ahead you can literally just observe people doing business business on the internet and copy them it's that easy but most people want they want everything to be handed to them Mm-hmm. where it's like so your their response would be something like okay so you keep telling me that you can make money on the internet but you never tell me how and what to do and what to sell like i am never going to tell you that like if i have a good idea of how to sell what to sell i will just do it myself why would i tell you some guy on the internet that i don't even know so and even people internet, that you know bro were a lot of them they have a gold mine underneath them but they just lack that hunger i know this one guy who is growing on instagram and he's apparently this pa dentist sort of individual and he gives a lot of these tips to upcoming students on how to thrive in the field and he has a huge audience i was like dude you should write a book or some sort of guide and sell it for 5 to 10 bucks just to understand how the process works and he's like Okay, well, who's going to design my cover? So I sit with him and I show him what Fiverr is like, what Upwork is like, just to get his feet wet. And this guy's like, you know, I just got an idea. How about you interview these guys and you find the guy that could make my cover and you oversee the whole process? So I'm thinking, you just want me to do the work for you then. <laughs> It's like you have no hunger, man. Like do it yourself. I'm teaching you how to do it. Now you got to execute. So it's a shame, man. It's like there's so much potential and you just got to wipe your eyes and see it. 
there's this popular saying in the crypto world, right? There's a guy called Bowtie Bull, and he keeps saying, equal opportunity, unequal results. Mm. That's what's going on across the world right now, where everyone has equal opportunity, but there are unequal results. Right. Do you have Arman, your friends? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, do you have your friends do that for you? Where, or not even friends? These are just individuals that you knew back in school, and they they hear that you know how to make money online, and they want you to just handhold them. That's why they never hear that I know how to make money online. <laughs> <laughs> You're smart, man. You're smart. Yeah. Stay private. It, it's better to avoid this bullshit. See, it's like this. If you're an engineer, everyone expects you to fix their computer, right? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. It's that. It's the same way. And I guess uh, I'm like that too. I like, I know a lot about computers. So whenever someone's like, hey, can you help me fix my computer? I'm like, yeah, sure. I may learn something new. So I have this same philosophy towards cars. My good friend, Steve, he's a car mechanic. Like, yo, Steve, come through. Uh, my car's not starting. I need your help. And I'm pretty sure he perceives me the same way that I perceive a lot of these guys who need to be handheld. So I just had an aha moment. Mm. Wait, do you know how to repair cars? No, I don't. That's why I'll hit up my friend Steve. And I'm, I'm thinking he likes to do it. But what if he doesn't like to do it? Where I like to fix computers but I don't like to teach people how to start a business. I'll refer other people to them. So when someone's like, hey, would you fix my computer? I'm like, yes, I will do that. Someone comes to me and is like, can you uh, help me pick a consultant for my book cover? I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that. So I'm thinking if Steve, he actually likes fixing cars or is it something that he just does and he knows how to do it? I guess we'll never know. Yeah, I'll probably ask him, like, hey, Steve, do you get annoyed when I tell you to uh, debug my car and all of that? Are, are you good with cars? Not really. I don't drive. Like, I know how to drive, but I have a driver. You know, whenever I need to go somewhere, I'll either get an Uber. Mm -hmm. I'm considering getting a full-time driver now. It just saves time. Like, driving is such a waste of time where, you know, you are, like, doing nothing productive. But if you have a driver then you can use that time to like read a book or do something else. So I'm thinking of drive? getting a, I know how to drive. I just don't, I don't care about it. Like some people enjoy driving. For me, it's just a chore. Are drivers expensive? Not really. They cost like 300 bucks a month. Hmm. Not bad. Yeah. So you, I, I'm, I'm planning on getting a car and a driver and it would be like the mode of travel I use. Lately, I've just been using Uber, though. Oh, okay. Do you also have a housemate? Yeah. Mm. I have a cook, a cleaner, a bunch of stuff. I have VAs. The only thing missing is a driver at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to Bangladesh, we had a driver. And the driver was such a nice guy. And since me and my brother were visiting from overseas... He'd always try to show us the cool spots. He'd be like, oh, this is where people go to do X, Y, and Z. 
And I remember the driver always looking at our housemate. He was like giving them her the eye. I don't know how they spit game. You know, he's a, he's a driver. I was like, yeah, you you wanna uh, you wanna go for a ride? I wonder how he spits game. Uh, what do you mean spits game? Like flirts with her, because I was I was pretty sure that the driver had a crush on our housemate. Ah, oh, yeah, could be, could be. You know, <laughs> that, did that ever happen to you, where a housemate, uh, and one of your other help started a, a relationship? No, not yet. Never happened. Did a housemate ever steal from you? Not yet. Luckily, that has not happened yet. See, I've heard of this happening to other people, but not to me. See, this is a foreign concept for a lot of Americans. You don't have a housemate unless you're ballin' ballin'. In America, labor is really expensive, right? Yeah, but I just recall in Bangladesh, most families, uncles, aunties, they all had a housemate. And they became a part of the family. Are my your housemate, housemate has a housemate. Like oh, my really? housemate has a housemate. <laughs> Everyone has a housemate. Do they stay with you guys or do they come and do the service and leave? It depends on how you hire them. You can hire them for the entire day if you want. You have to pay them way more. Mm-hmm. Or you can hire them to like come and do what you want them to do and then leave. So earlier, let's say you could hire them to... Like earlier, I would hire them to just clean the utensils, clean the house, and then go away. But now I have the full-time cook who does everything. Cleans the house, cleans the utensils, cooks for me. And it makes life so much easier. Are you guys cool? I mean, do you guys talk? No, man, I don't care. My okay. mother handles most of it. I don't care. Okay, no, because when I was growing up, when I was in Bangladesh, we had a housekeeper named, we called him Bilal Bhaya. And he was older than us. And he was sort of like our third brother. And even nowadays, when we go back to Bangladesh, he has his own family, his kids. And he looks after me and my brother. Like, he'll, he'll, he gets so excited. He's like, oh, look how big you are now. And uh, so he is someone that we became cool with. He started off as a house person, but now he's more like a family member. Yeah, that does happen, especially if the housemaid is also like babysitting your kid every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But typically people stay in their limitations mm. because you, you will tend to have to fire these people. Man, I remember one time I went to Bangladesh and our housekeeper's name was Kakoli. And she would always come up and she's like, Bhaiya, do you need something uh, like... Um, like, should I chop you pineapples or something like that? And I just felt weird asking the housekeeper to do anything. It's just because I'm used to washing my plates. It just, I didn't like it. So one day, uh, like, my trip to Bangladesh was wrapping up. I was supposed to leave next week. I'm like, you know what? Today I'm going to make her do something. I'm like, Kakuli. She's like, yes, Armand Bhaya, how can I help you? I'm like, can you chop me some pineapples, please? <laughs> and she did it and it was just such a cool <laughs> feeling it, <laughs> it's, it's like me like a split where i have the western mindset and now the eastern mindset where asking your housekeeper to do something is a norm in the eastern world but my western mindset is like no something about it just feels weird because i wasn't used to it for some time but when she did it i was like man i should have been asking for pineapples all along <laughs> See, that's exactly what I'm telling you. 
Yeah. Hire like, a cook. It'll save you so much time. Well, that's one of the things that the, one of these entrepreneurs in the West, he's like, if you make X amount of money, you should be getting a cook immediately. And when he initially said that, a bunch of entrepreneurs were like, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Who hires a cook when they can cook themselves? And it's, and it's Easterners. like, huh? Easterners. Yeah. It's like, if you have a cook, I mean, I just imagine how much time you spend. So your meal prep, they do it for you then. They do the meal prep, cook the meal, bring it to me, wash the dishes. <laughs> Look at you, man. You're living like a king over there. I'm telling you, everyone should move to India. If you're if you're a Westerner and you have some money or some online income that you can like do from your house, move to India. Everything is ridiculously cheap. Life is amazing. You have all the facilities you have in the West here. The tax rates are lower. Everyone speaks English. Literally no reason to not live in India. Did you have an article about misconceptions regarding India? Yeah, a lot of them actually. The, I did a piece on that. Let me pull it out back. What were some of the forgot, misconceptions? I kind of forgot. I kind of forgot what I wrote all of. You know, I don't, I published it like a couple of months ago, right? So I don't remember mm -hmm. all of it. Let me find it. Mm. Yeah, the biggest misconception I would say is that they think India is a bunch of street shooters, like, you know, like everyone's shooting on the street. When in reality, India built like millions and millions of toilets in the last five, six years. No one shits on the street anymore, like no one. And it's just... Like they think India is still in the 1990s or like 1970s, 80s, but it's a flourishing economy and we don't have the problems that they think we have, at least not nearly at the same intensity. And the other myth is that India is like, India has a lot of rapists. But when you actually look at real statistics, the, the rape rate in India is like 1.8 for every 100,000 people. In the U.S., it's about 27. So it's just Western media kind of making India look like crap when it's really not. Indian people are really peaceful. The crime is low. And you don't have to worry about much, especially things like rape. Like the rape rate is literally 1.8 per 100,000 people versus in the U.S., it's like 27.31, 27.29 in the U.K., I don't know how much it's in the Vatican City, but like, I'm not even going to try and estimate that. Mm -hmm. So the point is that India is really, really safe. And it makes zero sense for people to think that it's not. And yeah, it's, it's the third biggest economy in the world. The literacy rate is improving every year. Like in 1961, like 50, 60 years ago, only like 28% of people could read and write. And now 75% or more can. And most uneducated people are like very old people. Like who, you know, who are old even like, well, like 60, 70 years or elder who haven't had the chance to go to school. So essentially India is doing really, really well. And the biggest misconception is that it's a shithole where everyone's sitting on the street and raping each other and everyone's illiterate and people travel on elephants and shit like that. So... <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I never knew what the elephant won. 
do you, you know how a lot of digital nomads they'll go to a place in Europe or a place in South America? Do you guys get digital nomads? Not so many, unfortunately, not yet. But I hope more people will find India. It's a beautiful country. It's cheap. I'm telling you, it's the best place to be. Everyone speaks English. You have exactly you have all the facilities you have in the West, like theaters. You have police. You have, you know, all the goods you can buy there. You can buy here. The living conditions in cities are pretty much the same, and you know it's it's cheaper. You miss, you save so much money. The tax rates are much lower. You can hire all these help, right? You can hire a cook, a maid, etc., and live like a king. So I'm sure that's going to sell a lot of people because yeah, it's, the, it's the idea, the idea of you having a maid, a cook, and how much did you a driver? And it's let's say a thousand dollars a month. A little bit more. That's not bad at all. What a thousand dollars for what? A maid, a cook, and a driver. Because you said a driver was three hundred. What about the other two? A maid and a cook. You could get a full time maid for two hundred bucks. A full time maid and and a cook, like for two three hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks, yeah. Bro, if you're trying to recruit more people to India, you need to hype that up more. Because a lot of that doesn't even exist as a possibility for a lot of Americans, where a lot of Americans can afford that, but they don't think about that. Where they're just used to cooking themselves, cleaning themselves. But you could hire someone. That is your marketing tool right there. Man, you guys need to check out India. It's amazing. Wait, if 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 I were you, man, I'd I'd keep being it hush hush. Like no one else comes. <laughs> yeah, like India is the worst place to be. Don't come here, right? <laughs> it's like the thing with Florida. So many people are moving to Florida now. I'm like, no, no, no you guys go back, man. You guys uh, leave us here, because Florida. I mean, it has great weather, and it has this entrepreneurship community. I saw Fatay post up this unique tweet. Uh, it's an excerpt from a book, um, and you could tell me how true this is. You know Fateh Sharno, right? Yeah, I know him. I've spoken to him actually. Good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Indians love gold, real estate, and bank FDs. Americans love businesses. Indians look for jobs. Americans create jobs. Indians prefer safety and security. Americans prefer risk and entrepreneurship. India is poor. America is rich. The business the business culture is what we need to import from America, not their burgers and cokes. Either we start businesses or invest in businesses. Would you say nowadays India's entrepreneurship economy is growing? It's growing and it's growing really, really fast, and it's growing a lot. A lot of unicorns are from India now. And earlier, entrepreneurship was just not a part of the culture. People would want a safe job, but nowadays, more and more people want to be entrepreneurs, and this is an amazing thing. You're so pioneering yeah, are, away, man. Yeah, it, it is getting better. Like earlier, it was much worse, but now, now it's much better. The, the thing is that you know, when your country is really poor, you don't have, I would say, the culture becomes so safety-seeking that you are not taught to be an entrepreneur. But now that we are getting some money, people have some money to risk, and they have bigger dreams and goals than just filling their stomach. 
And that's kind of why that we're seeing more entrepreneurship. I'm not going to lie, man. You have a lot of influence in India. And I believe LifeMap Money Brand can be one of those brands that changes things up and introduces more of an entrepreneurship community here. I hope so, man. That is part of the goal. Absolutely. Arman, I think we are at the two-hour mark today and people seem to like the two-hour episodes more. So I think we should close it for for the day. But there was this one question from a reader. Do you want to answer it? Sure. From a yeah. listener, not a reader, yeah. Let Can you read the question out and then we can give our takes? Sure. So it's Technical Shiva. I love this guy. He's awesome. He always shows support. Yeah, he watches our videos. That's good. Hey, awesome Technical, guy. how are you? What's up, homie? Hello, Arman Harsh. I'm in a good position right now. I have a decent money. I've lost over 50 kgs. There is nothing wrong with my life. In fact, my life is great. But I sincerely don't know what the problem is, but I feel like I don't deserve anything. I've lost 52 kgs and I'm proud of it. But even after that, I don't feel like I have achieved anything. I look great. Everyone around me asks how I did it. But in my heart, I feel like I didn't do anything significant. Today, I went to buy a phone, Fold 4, which I had pre-reserved. But when I went to the store to buy it, something in my mind happened and my mind said, I don't deserve this. And because of this feeling, I didn't buy it. This thing happens with me every time once I went to buy a good workout shoe, but I didn't buy that because my mind said, I don't deserve this. I don't know why this is. I've lived a very hard life so far. My father got bankrupt and we were homeless for one year. I lived in a freaking slum for two years. I didn't have electricity for almost four years, but we couldn't pay the bill. I didn't went to school for three years, but still got good grades, 84% in my uh, 12th. Uh, now I have started a business and it is going great. I have good money right now, but I feel like I don't deserve anything. I'm honestly very sad, even though I know there is some nothing to be sad of. I have a great life. What should I do now? You guys have really uh, helped me. Interesting. Um, do you want to take a stab at this first? I'll say I that have... this guy is facing some kind of void in his life. And that's why it's, he's feeling like this. In the sense that money and success don't do much when you don't have purpose, right? And I'm willing to bet this guy does not have kids. And this is essentially his body's response to something like, okay, what do I focus on long-term? Like, what is something that actually gives my life some meaning? Because if you don't have meaning, you will feel empty. And his message kind of makes me think that's what he's feeling. So my recommendation is that you need to have children. Because for most people, and that is most of humanity, that's what gives life longer-term meaning, to actually further your lineage. And this, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but there's a high chance after reading this that it makes me think that this guy is not married and he doesn't have kids. Like, he needs to have kids. What is your take? Well, my take is what I got out of it uh, Shiva, is that you have a lot of good things going for you. But one of the things that I noticed is that, uh, you know, you grew up um, 
you grew up with a tough lifestyle and how we grow up plays a big role in our adulthood the guy I, lived in a slum that is crazy you should be proud of yourself by the way exactly where when you're growing up in a certain atmosphere that becomes a large part of who you are uh, and it influences a big part of your adulthood but one of the things i would recommend you do is uh, what harsh said in terms of getting a goal uh, if it's the kids for you that could be the thing but i do think you do need a direction to uh, go towards and most importantly man you have to practice some sort of gratitude because you have a lot of great accomplishments from what you did uh, you losing the weight congratulations but you need to acknowledge it because here's the thing if i come to your place right now uh and i just drop a bunch of bricks hey harsh is that going it's streamyard not me okay just take the if i come to your place right now shiva and i drop a bunch of bricks and i just leave you're going to be like hey man what are you doing uh why are you dropping this junk off at my crib and then i'm like wait a minute man i'm coming back with a special ingredient so i come back i bring cement and then i get those bricks and i cement it and i build you a guest house now your perception is going to change you're going to be like oh wow uh, thank you so much so that's what's happening with you right now you have a lot of bricks you have a lot of these accomplishments and experiences and you need to acknowledge it you need to take some time and cement those together i guess some sort of gratitude practice where you articulate it out loud and slowly your perception is going to change more and you're going to feel more deserving because that's one of the things i noticed from your a uh, talk you said i don't deserve this a lot of times and you need to understand that you put in the work so you do deserve it a lot of people talk about losing weight but they never do it so you doing it that's already progress but if you don't acknowledge progress that's when ambition turns into desperation so i i would definitely recommend that you uh, take some time and you spend more time practicing gratitude i used to think that it was a waste of time but the more that i practiced it the more that i understood that there's scientific benefits to gratitude it changes your nervous system you feel a different way and you perceive things in a different way and right now you have a lot of accomplishments but you just need to uh tinker with your perception some more great question though yeah i do think he needs to kind of find more meaning in his life and that can come from either children or some kind of longer term passion or cause that he wants to pursue i think this is this is a symptom like his feeling of not deserving anything is a symptom of not doing something that is very meaningful to him and my recommendation would be to have kids great question i mean that's a feature that we haven't done yet in our past episodes harsh where we answer questions like that so if you guys have any other questions you too shiva if you have any questions regarding the response that uh, both harsh and i gave uh, feel free to ask more questions and we'll bring it up in these episodes yep we would love to help you guys out and with that we're going to see you in two more weeks have a great day hit the subscribe button and the like button and see you all right see you guys